0: hey everybody welcome to hope solo speaks the second world cup edition we are now only five days from the start of fifa world cup 2022 hosted by qatar a world cup in the midst of winter is strange for many of us this winter my family will be drinking hot apple cider and eating rumaki While watching the world's favorite tournament with our wild ass children running around and pretending they're Ronaldo, it will be a family event scheduled alongside the holiday cheer. For all of you out there who know me and the many who think they do, there should be no surprise that I can't help but throw a wrench in our holiday festivities. I'm not a glass half full or half empty kind of person. I fancy myself a realist, I respect truth. I deplore ignorance and I don't abide atrocities even when painted with beauty. Yes, the World Cup. The joy it will most definitely bring to families across the globe from every class and race is indisputable. The question is, does the Qatar 2022 World Cup mask, erase, hide the atrocities that took place in order to provide us with entertainment and a sense of inclusiveness? The blatant barbarisms and the bald faced corruption on display in this year's World Cup has never been seen before. So, without climbing on my high horse too much, my hope is that as you enjoy this World Cup and as you cheer for your players and countries, I hope you cheer for the fact that the cycle of corruption and human exploitation will never stain the world's game again. Today's episode. I sidestep from celebrating the games we are about to watch, and I hope that I can provide an opportunity for all of us to understand what we actually can do to have an impact on the world around us through the sport we love. So it is my privilege to introduce to you Crooked Media's Tommy Vitor, a man who has studied this issue at great depth. He is a founder of Crooked Media and co-host of podcasts, Pod Save America and Pod Save the World and the World Corrupt Podcast. Tommy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So I just listened to your six-part podcast, uh, World Corrupt, for all of you who have not heard it yet. Um, You do it with Men in Blazers, Roger Bennett. It's just fantastic. I mean, it it, it truly is. Of course, it's timely with the Men's World Cup being five days away now, which is insane. It's here. In the series, you explore the 2022 World Cup. Mm -hmm. In your own words... You say that you explore the corruption and the absurdity of having a host country with no infrastructure and dangerously hot weather and a human rights record that goes against all the values that FIFA claims to hold dear. Damn right. Damn right. Double <laughs> down on that.
1: Double down on that. But listen, I mean, first of all, thank you for, for listening to the show. Um, what I have learned in the process of making this show is when you have a co-host with a, just a, <laughs> a beautiful Liverpool accent, it's like a cheat code. You know, I didn't have to say a word.
0: Well, of course. It sounds like you guys know everything about football <laughs>
1: from the onset. <laughs> well, look, I know nothing. Look, I'm um, a mediocre athlete at best, but just like, I mean, can you imagine playing in 120 degree heat? I mean, that's when the, the tournament was supposed to be. The World Cup is supposed to be in the summer. It's wild that it's in the winter because Qatar is just like, it's too hot to be outside in the summer, basically. It's like a swamp. And then on top of that, I mean, you sort of alluded to it, but women are treated like second-class citizens, um, same-sex marriages or same-sex relationships can get you thrown in jail, and then Qatar had literally none of the infrastructure you need to host an international tournament. So it just made absolutely no sense.
0: Uh, it, it still doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, in your in your series, you give this historical account of football, the origins of FIFA, the way business dealings began with FIFA decades ago, you addressed the 2018 and the 2022 World Cup bids being awarded to both Russia and Qatar. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't have time to go through sure. the decades and decades of corruption when it comes to FIFA, um, but I do advise the listeners to, to dive in deeper with you guys on World Corrupt. Um, but you guys also did a great job of really paving paving the way of how we got into this moment right now, only five days away from watching what you said, a Winter World Cup a World Cup that is being hosted by a tiny Gulf state, like you said, never once qualified for the tournament no. in the past, little infrastructure, women not afforded the same rights as men, and a shocking human rights record. So let's first start with the bidding process. Sure. Is it safe to say that Qatar bought their influence of other voting delegates?
1: I mean, I think that there's been a lot of reporting that suggests that corruption is just endemic in FIFA. Um, and there are accounts of, you know, people who are, uh, processes that weren't part of the bidding and the awarding of the hosting of the 2022 world cup where, you know, members were handed literally envelopes full of cash. But in the case of, uh, this world cup in Qatar, I mean, the former FIFA president Seth Blatter has now said that giving the world cup to Qatar was a mistake. It's wonderful. And he was a
0: part of it. He announced yeah. it.
1: Thank you for coming to that conclusion a decade too late, Mr. Blatter. We really appreciate it. But he said recently that the former French president, President Sarkozy, uh, personally pressured FIFA to support the Qatari delegations who had purchased 14.6 billion dollars worth of Mirage fighter jets shortly after they won the bid. So, um, listen, I'm no, I'm no lawyer, but that sounds pretty corrupt adjacent. Um, and you know, I think like. At the end of the day, when you look at a process like this and FIFA awarding this bid, this hosting uh, responsibility to Qatar, when it makes no sense on its face, you have to look for other motives. And I think uh, most folks think it was corruption.
0: Other countries obviously are involved. Isn't this just a part of FIFA? Pay the most money, get the bed. Other countries are bribing and getting kickbacks as
1: well. It's a really good point. And there are parts uh, sometimes during the reporting of this um, series, people would make that point, which is to say, whether it's uh, whether it's FIFA and the World Cup or the IOC awarding the Olympics, corruption is kind of part of it. Or if it's not corruption, it's politics. It's, you know, Greece and the right person, glad handing, you know, doing favors. Right. And that's sort of like just how it goes. I think the reason we wanted to single out this particular World Cup is because I think Roger felt, you know, Roger is like the biggest soccer fan on the planet. And he went to the last World Cup in Russia. And I think, you know, at the time he realized that it was a PR gambit and that he was kind of being used by Vladimir Putin and the Russian government to take photos and live stream and project back home this international image of Russia as this modern, beautiful, cleaned up place. And I think he felt used. And, you know, when you look forward to something every minute of the day for four years, and then you have to deal with the reality that <clears throat> it's been cheapened the way FIFA has cheapened this World Cup, and that the, the mere fact that the World Cup is being held in Qatar meant that thousands upon thousands of migrant workers have died in the process of building out the infrastructure. That's just a lot to deal with. So, yes, I agree with you. are right that I think there is... Um, This is part of the FIFA culture and other countries have done it, too. But in this case, the fact that you can tie it directly to the deaths of innocent people is really hard.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's corruption all over the place. You start with the bidding process, Mm -hmm. being awarded the bid, and then you go on to the current issues, like you said, with the migrant workers. But what really shocked me to hear on your podcast is actually, you know, what? I take that back. It was not shocking. And that's the shocking part is it was actually not surprising at all. And it was to hear your friend um, and former colleague uh, for the Obama administration, Mm -hmm. I believe his name was Matt Miller.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Um, Matt Miller is the lead spokesperson for the Department of Justice, is that correct? Yes, yes he was, yeah. Okay. So he was speaking about his experience, stating that it was one of the most corrupt things he had ever seen in his career when he Uh actually joined the USA delegation to make a last-minute plea to host the 2022 World Cup. It was unbelievable. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Matt Miller is a guy I've known for a long time. He worked in New Jersey politics for many years of his career. So this guy's offended by something. If this guy thinks something is corrupt, like he's seen some stuff. Um, And so Matt worked for the attorney general at the time, a guy named Eric Holder. Uh, At the last minute, Joe Biden was supposed to go over to the awards ceremony in Zurich or wherever it was and sort of make that last minute push for the U.S. to get the 2022 World Cup. Biden couldn't go. I think uh, he probably had to like speak at some event. There was a funeral or something like that. So they swapped in Eric Holder, the attorney general. So my friend Matt goes, he's like, he said he felt like the little kid with the adults, right? It's like uh, Morgan Freeman, Bill Clinton, you know, the, Eric Holder, the attorney general, all these hot shots getting run around to meetings. And Matt said he spent a bunch of time just like sitting in the bar of this hotel and he could see delegates going up to the Russian and Qatari rooms and coming back down and not literally popping bottles and celebrating but getting pretty close. And he was like, oh, this is over. There's no way we have this thing. He just knew.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. I think it's widely known, widely accepted that there was corruption um, that culminated in Russia and Qatar being awarded the 2018 and 2022 World Cups. I don't think you're going to see a lot of debate about that. Um, But moving away from uh, hosting and that complication, let's talk about what's happening since then. You know, like you said, the migrant worker workers um, who have died putting infrastructure together for the World Cup to take off. Um, And it's going to take off. I have a feeling it's going to be very successful. Um, We can talk about that later with your predictions and the protest predictions and what's going to happen. But um, migrant workers slaved away to make this happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, there are, you know, what happens, there's a lot of migrant workers who move to Gulf countries because, you know, they think it's a chance to make some real money and send it back home for their families and pull themselves out of poverty. And I don't begrudge anyone that. But the thing that's so awful about it is a lot of these migrant workers from places like India or Bangladesh or Nigeria, they have to pay recruiters to get jobs in the first place. So you go over to a place like Qatar or Saudi Arabia, and you're in debt. And then you're trying to work your way out of debt. And the way the the system is set up is your employer sometimes takes away your passport or they control whether you can leave the job, or they can decide not to pay you for weeks, if not months on end. It's just this really abusive system. And on top of that, these workers were often working outside in construction, you know, building stadiums, building subways, building all this infrastructure that didn't exist. And, And there were all these instances of like young, healthy men having quote unquote heart attacks or unexplained deaths. that were clearly associated with The work they were doing in in dangerous outdoor conditions. So,
0: when all of this information came to light, what responses have we seen um, with these stories coming out from around the world and and within Qatar?
1: You know, there the the stat that 6,500 migrant workers have died since the awarding of the World Cup, I believe, came out in the Guardian newspaper last year in 2021, and it was pretty explosive. more broadly, I mean, you've seen like individual players um, respond in really heroic ways. I mean, you understand this. Like it's it's so unfair how much pressure is put on the players. You know what I mean? Like they didn't choose where this tournament was going to be. Well, why should they have to step up and, and be the heroes on the field and then off the field? But that's what we do to them in, in sort of society. But I mean, you're seeing some clubs uh, have stepped up and said, Um, that they will protest in in ways large and small, uh, put messages on T-shirts. The Australian team, the Socceroos, released a really inspiring video about all the things they stand for. So there have been some people speaking out, but FIFA's message is basically, please don't do that. You know, focus on the soccer.
0: Of course, it it always is focus on the game.
1: Yeah, Focus on
0: scoring goals. Focus Focus on 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 making us money. Yeah. Of course. Um, You had a labor rights activist from Kenya on your show who worked in Qatar. His name was Malcolm. Um, He was actually arrested for documenting his working conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, And he said in, in the interview that he fears that things will only get worse after the World Cup. So yeah, maybe you know, people are going to try and do the right thing as the tournament takes off and as it goes on for the next couple of weeks. But what happens when everybody leaves and nobody is really watching Qatar anymore and the government of Qatar? Um, I I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about his story and the conditions that he found himself in first.
1: Yeah. I mean, so um, Malcolm Adali was a migrant worker uh, who who moved over to Qatar. I think he's working as a security guard. And he... um, uh, he just started documenting the things he was seeing—the the extreme heat, the overtime, the the missed payments—and uh, he was doing it anonymously. But his his you know his story started to get picked up and gain some traction. And the government figured out he was the one doing it, so they arrested him. They threw him in jail. They interrogated him. They threw him in solitary confinement for days and days and days on end. And basically, you know, a lot of people. Uh, believe that solitary confinement is a form of torture. Um, Ultimately, they deported him and they sent him back home. But like he did nothing wrong. You know, he didn't harm anybody. He didn't break any rules. He just told his story and what he'd seen. And for that, he was punished. Um, And so Malcolm's point is basically he hopes that the world will use this moment of like really intense focus on Qatar because of the World Cup to try to push them to make changes. It, it, credit to, you know, in fairness to Qatar, they have made some changes to the letter of their law and to how workers are treated, but the implementation of those rule changes is hard.
0: Just like the Equal Pay Act, I've seen that. Yeah. We don't implement it very much here in the no, United States. No, you're
1: right, you're absolutely right. <laughs> um,
0: so, you know, th- through all of your research, all of your interviews, um, you, you you spoke to a lot of human rights groups in your opinion is this world cup soaked in blood?
1: Yes. I mean, I think it is. And I think what these human group, what these human rights groups are pushing for, which I think is very smart, is there's a a campaign they're running called the Pay Up FIFA campaign. And it's a simple ask. They're saying to FIFA, "Hey, you set aside 440 million dollars for the teams that win, for the teams that participate, prize money. Set aside the same amount for the workers who are harmed." their families, their kids, because imagine, you know, your husband, you're living in Bangladesh, your husband pays a thousand dollars to go get a, a job in Qatar. He dies. Now you're at home in Bangladesh with kids. Maybe, uh, you're trying to pay off his debt and you know, you no longer have your husband with you. Right. So we got to make those families. Right. And that's the goal of the pay up FIFA campaign.
0: That sounds like a great campaign. Um, I do want to hear more about that, um, what what other things are being done. But that campaign seems hopeful. Hopefully, mm-hmm. it's implemented. Hopefully, it gets the support and the ball rolling to really get these families paid. Um, yeah. Perhaps perhaps I'm a little, I don't know if I'm hopeful right now going in. You know, I expect some major changes. I expect some athletes to step up. I expect some teams to step up. I expect mm-hmm. the fans to step up. We'll talk about that soon. I want to talk about something that you call sports washing. hmm Um, you talk about how the World Cup has a history of being held in nations using it to sports wash. Terrible, repressive regimes, Mussolini's Italy, military dictatorship in Argentina, Putin's Russia. Can you explain how this has been used in the
1: past? Yeah, I mean, I think that leaders of nations know that people love sports. It's global, it's beloved, we all get caught up in the games. And, you know, when... When the, you know, when there's a a World Cup in Argentina, um, people forget once the, you know, kickoff starts that the leadership there is this brutal military junta. This was in the 1970s. But the reality was there were people who had been taken as political prisoners who were being held in jail cells where they could hear people cheering in the stadium down the street, but at the same time were being tortured. So that's like the most egregious, awful version of sports washing that's out there. But another version is, you know, the Saudi government um, just recently bought an EPL team. They have also launched their own golf league called the Live Golf Tour. And a lot of people, myself included, believe that it's an effort to rebrand their identity to the international world as something other than uh, a regime that, you know, butchered a journalist. In 2018, that suppresses the rights of women, that suppresses the rights of minorities, that does not allow you to criticize the government in any way. So that's sort of what the term sports washing has evolved to mean.
0: It's a little strange to me because they want to present themselves to the world, but aren't they going to receive such criticism? They already are. Um, It seems like the world is going to be focused on these labor rights issues and these human rights issues. How does Qatar plan to combat that?
1: You know, it's a really good question. I mean, I think the more and more we talk to experts, we went into the project thinking the reason Qatar wants the World Cup is sports washing. We know it. We got them. Right. But we talked to experts and they were like, listen, to be honest, you're listening. You're thinking about this from a very Western perspective. What they really wanted, Qatar, this, that is, is to be seen as, uh, you know, as as cosmopolitan and powerful and impressive on the world stage as their neighbors in Dubai. This is all about like projecting an image to the world, sort of a coming out party for the country. And so I think there is a piece of that. But what happened in the process is Qatar gets the World Cup. People start to look at their uh, human rights practices. They look at their labor practices. And all of a sudden, people like you and me were talking about it. Like, listen, I worked in the White House for four years. I wasn't focused on Qatar very often in, in the day to day job. But, you know, it's something I've thought about a lot and worked on now. And so Roger often refers to it as like sort of like the biggest self-own you could imagine in terms of your international reputation, which is suddenly people are talking about all these um, uh, things they don't want them to talk about. The question becomes whether, you know, once the tournament actually starts, uh, if people keep talking about these issues or if they're just focused on soccer.
0: Of course, it. it... I am curious how Qatar is going to deal with the continued bad press throughout the tournament, um, if they're situated to deal with the fallout. But I I guess it's, you know, it's often said that sports really mirror what's going on in society. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you give us another example of how sports politics and culture constantly overlaps? You speak about this quite often.
1: Sure. I mean, you know, another interesting example is there is a Russian state owned natural gas company called Gazprom. And a few years back, they started sponsoring tons of German teams in the Bundesliga. And suddenly they were ubiquitous. They were just everywhere. All these teams had Gazprom all over them. And then you fast forward a few years to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and the Russians have cut off flows of oil and gas to Germany and to all these places. And this effort to sort of like I don't know, make make Gazprom a household name to make it seem less threatening, to make it seem less tied with Russia. I think people have woken up and thought, oh, my God, you know, this was just sort of like the worst example of of sports washing possible. This is a state owned oil and gas entity from a country that just invaded our neighbor. And they're now uh, they're now using it to extort us, basically. You know, they're trying to freeze out half of Europe by cutting off these natural gas flows. So that's one example.
0: It seems like we as athletes are oftentimes a bunch of puppets, really,
1: walking billboards. Yeah, absolutely. Walking billboards, stuck in the middle of these fights, you know, expected to be the ones to take stands when, you know, there's all these corporations that are just kind of hiding.
0: Logistically speaking, there's fewer than 3 million people in Qatar. It's a small peninsula, very small peninsula, I think smaller than Connecticut. Mm -hmm. How in the hell are they going to actually host 32 teams and all of the fans, I think, how many fans are expected to travel? Like, over a million, 1.2 million, I think it is.
1: I, I have no idea. I, I don't know if you've seen this. Someone sent me, like, a TikTok of what their Qatar is calling a hotel accommodations. And it's sort of like, if a porta potty potty uh, and, like, a double-wide kind of, like, merged and had a baby, and then you threw, like, a <laughs> mattress in it, like, that's... Ooh. That's what they're calling like a hotel room for fans. And I think people are going to fly over there and be like, what, what is happening here? And there was a report today that um, the Qatari government is now demanding that all the Budweiser beer tents be hidden. And Budweiser pays $75 million for this sponsorship. And all of a sudden, they're going to just stash this away. So I don't know what is going to happen for the fan experience, let alone, like, let's say you're uh, gay or lesbian and you want to go to watch the games, like I don't know how you could possibly feel safe in this environment. So there's a lot of open questions about like basic logistics and then the more, you know, sticky, like scary human rights considerations.
0: Well, speaking about the fan, like the typical fan, how does a fan actually enjoy the games while attempting to hold those in power accountable? I mean, I I feel a little bit helpless and I've been involved in U.S. soccer and FIFA and pushing against wrongs and... And, you know, with the USOPC and the IOC, I understand how hard it is from from a legal standpoint and dedicating, you know, a decade of my life to push issues that support athletes in our own country, let alone in a country that has less human rights. So, like I said, sometimes I'm hopeful, sometimes I'm hopeless, but what in the world does the average fan do in order to make a difference?
1: It's a great question. I mean, I think the first step really is just to be Be informed, just kind of like know what's going on, think about it, know about it, care. I do think in this case, with this 2022 World Cup, um, listen, I'm I'm like often skeptical of hashtag activism, Mm -hmm. but I do think like showing solidarity for these migrant workers, supporting the pay up FIFA campaign, trying to pressure FIFA, trying to pressure some of these clubs or the sponsors, that can be helpful. But listen, I mean, I am again a terrible athlete but i you know i i played football i watch it every sunday and like when i see you know someone like Tua get thrown to the ground for the second straight week and get another brutal concussion i start to wonder like am i part of the problem watching this um and so it's like a constant struggle i think for a lot of people that love sports but know that there's some like nasty you know side effects
0: well i think many of us as viewers are very selfish um we do tune in for entertainment we turn in to tune in to forget about our own problems um Mm -hmm. we feel sometimes connected globally especially when you're watching an event like the world cup so it it seems very you know it's a family event i'm gonna have my kids be watching world cup games with us we're gonna be watching all the games but there is a sense of guilt and and i you know I, i feel ashamed almost you know forgetting on purpose, all of the issues that are really going on. I'm not going to be forgetting them, but most of us will be. And I, I I don't know. I don't know if that's right or wrong. You know, we want people to enjoy this beautiful tournament. A lot of people risk their lives to build the infrastructure for, and a lot of players are are fulfilling their dreams, their lifelong dreams. They work hard. And what are we supposed to do? Um, So there is a sense of guilt. There's a sense of anger that we're put in this position by FIFA. Um, it really is FIFA's responsibility to probably never allow a country like this to host the World Cup. They have made amendments. I want to talk to you about you alluded to it earlier, the pressure of the players because, yes, as a normal fan, we probably can't do a whole lot. We will get involved with the hashtags, um probably try to put pressure on FIFA. But really, it does come down to bearing that weight um on the shoulders of the players. And I'm actually really bummed that many of our own American newscasters aren't allowed to speak about. The yeah, political yeah. landscape of playing in Qatar. Many of my dear colleagues and friends will be commentating on the American side. Mm-hmm. And it pisses me off that they can't even express their opinions. I want to, I want to tell them where the fuck <laughs> is the courage. Yeah. But I understand, I mean, their job is on the line. This is in their contracts with the uh, with the broadcast company. So it, it, it puts a lot of pressure on people working the tournament. But again, I want to stick to the players.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Many young athletes perhaps don't want to rock the boat. And I understand that. I've seen oh. that. Um, but I do take a little bit of a different view on this now. I believe that it's become very popular to, to speak out, to stand up, mm-hmm. like you said, to wear t-shirts, to kind of be halfway in. I do see few athletes make actual risks or take actual risks. But these are the times, I think, where athletes can take on these issues and it's much more widely accepted.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, the, there's sort of like a long history of, athletes talking about raising awareness about social justice issues and you're right i mean there's varying degrees of risk for example at the mexico city olympics in 1968 two black american athletes tommy smith and john carlos each raised their fist in that like iconic image uh to protest racism in this country and those two were hounded to death for the rest of their lives they were blacklisted from sports like that cost them dearly. And I think you're right. Like this day and age, um, especially in the last, you know, five, six, eight years, I think it's become more common, more expected, more acceptable for athletes to speak out about social justice issues. That doesn't mean it's always easy. I mean, we talk about in the, in the pod how LeBron James was told by a Fox News host to shut up and dribble because he spoke his mind. And I think like, that's insulting one. And two, I mean, like the suggestion that athletes back in the day or, or are supposed to be quiet about other things in their lives, I think is, is ludicrous. I mean, they're whole human beings <laughs> who have thoughts and do things <laughs> off the field as, as you know, better than I do. But, um, I do, you know, like I, I, what I, what I want to split the difference is like putting all the pressure on the athletes to, um, be the ones to like give voice to the things I want to hear because I also want to hear the sponsors and the organizations, especially FIFA with the money. I want to hear them step up, but you're right. I want to hear it all.
0: Yeah. And you're starting to see sponsors step up. Maybe not right now, um, in the wake of, of Qatar and the world cup, but in the past, you're starting to see sponsors actually not stick to necessarily the federations and the employer side, but actually they have to be aware of, of the different issues that athletes are bringing up. Totally. And raising awareness too. So totally. Um, so a couple of athletes and teams that have done a few things, perhaps not much. You let me know your thoughts on this, but mm. you had the Finnish footballer and the ex-captain on your show. He told the story of a teammate refusing to, to refusing a, a, a call-up uh, for training camp um, when they were traveling to Qatar and Abu Dhabi. And it ended up that the entire team stood behind him and they did not travel anymore to Qatar and Abu Dhabi for training camps. So that is pretty incredible.
1: So you tell me that's pretty baller, right?
0: Like that's you can baller. get your
1: ass thrown off the team if you, oh, yeah, so you know to a
0: call-up. Yeah, if you don't go into camp, come on. Come <laughs> they on. don't like that?
1: Coaches um, don't like that when you yeah, just There was up. a
0: player on the U.S. Women's National Team, um, and it went the other way for her, but she decided, I mean, rightfully so, uh, she decided she didn't want to play. Um, I believe it was on Sundays because of her religion. Um, and she had um, some issues supporting LGBT. Q plus community. Got it, got it. Um, she was blackballed pretty quickly. Hmm. Um, so, but it still took courage. You have to look at it and it still took courage for her to stand for her moral beliefs. And a lot of people don't want to see it that way, but I, it, it it was hard for her and she lost her career for it.
1: Yeah. I, I cannot agree with someone, but I think that if you have set of beliefs and you fight for them, like, you know, that's not easy to do.
0: Of course, it's not. The Norwegian team wore human rights T-shirts followed by Germany. Who, 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 who? The Dutch national team. Um, team manager Louis van Gogh, he spoke out about money and commercial interest being the only thing that matters to FIFA. And what I think is cool is Denmark's kit is the color of mourning. Yes. In honor of the lives lost making the World Cup happen in the first place.
1: That one seemed pretty cool. Yeah. I thought, said,
0: I like- thought that was great.
1: That's on your body at all times. It's like a constant sort of reminder of the issues at stake. Yeah.
0: But I'm wondering if there's really been anything of substance from players or teams.
1: You know, I mean, the the video from the soccer Roos I thought, was pretty substantive. They released like a three-minute long video where they talked about a lot of concerns, the treatment of LGBT people, uh, the treatment of migrant workers. That was pretty impressive. There have been a bunch of games in Germany where fans have held up Big signs or banners um, criticizing the World Cup. Some of them, I think, called for a boycott. Um, You've also seen, you know, FIFA tried to tell players to just focus on football. That seems to have backfired. That pissed off a lot of people. Uh, Gareth Southgate, I think, punched (laughs) back at them for that. So there is some time. Um, but you're right that we're, you know, we're getting pretty close to kickoff here.
0: Uh, it's been said that England and the USA will be getting, uh, together with the migrant workers, inviting them to their training sessions, having conversations with them. The USA Federation is also helping LGBTQ fans feel safe. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure entirely how that's going to work. Um, and they'll be staying at hotels that follow new labor practices.
1: Yeah. That's, you know, listen, I think, I think there's a piece of this that's sort of long term, like when we started making the series, it was too late. You know, the, the World Cup was going to happen in Qatar. Like the that, you know, sort of die was cast in 2010. There was some time, I think, to stop it, but it just never happened. But we do know that Saudi Arabia and Egypt are attempting to bid for the 2030 World Cup. And if FIFA sees what's happening, all the conversation over Qatar, and then gives the World Cup to the Saudis, uh, we know that, they are full of shit on every level possible, so that's kind of I think the next pressure point.
0: Um, I do believe FIFA also announced um, that for the next World Cup, obviously hosted by Canada, Mexico, and the United States, um, they will be looking at some of the requirements for infrastructure and yes. labor laws. Yes, but exactly. to me, that's you know, I mean, you probably aren't going to see a lot of misguidance when it comes to labor laws, especially in the United States and Canada, perhaps Mexico as well. So, I I, I think that's just um, You know, that's a token given to us by FIFA. But we'll see. Like you said, in 2030, I think that's really when it's going to come into play. So a lot of nations have taken this very conservative approach. They've said nothing. They've said very little. They're kind of waiting for it all to go away. There's been lots of nice gestures, the armbands, the T-shirts, the social media presence um, and posts. But to me, it doesn't seem enough uh, to be enough. But there are all these socially conscious players, mm-hmm. you know. They're they're everywhere, especially the younger generation of players. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I said earlier, I expect to see a major stand by at least one individual player, if not more, and uh, by teams. I I truly believe that this is their moment to to seize and to take a hold of the situation and to try to create lasting change. How do athletes actually seize the moment to create this kind of social change on the grandstand like the World Cup?
1: Yeah, I mean, great question. I mean, I think, you know, you could see, listen, I think if someone scores a goal and they take off their jersey and they have a shirt on with like a very clear message, like that Mm -hmm. will, that will take some guts. It will really piss off the Qatari government. (laughs) Really, really, really piss off. That just
0: gave me the chills. That would be be an iconic image throughout history. Like I mean, imagine
1: like a Marcus Rashford or like one of these players who we all look up to doing that. I mean, you know, and Megan Rapinoe talked to us about this on the show and was basically like, you know, I, I know you're worried. I know you're anxious, but like the thing you'll regret when you're old and gray is, you know, not using your voice when you had a chance. So I, I think you're right. Like we have all, a lot of hope for some of these players, but you could also see them just talking about their concerns at a press conference because FIFA can try to muzzle these guys, but they can't. F- Force them to say or not say things. It just doesn't work that way.
0: Well, who knows the backlash? I think that's the fear, right?
1: Yeah, the backlash is the fear for sure. Yeah.
0: Um, you had spoken about putting too much hope on one individual. Perhaps that's what I'm doing right now. I'm not sure who it's gonna be, who I'm putting my hope on to take a stance. But you but you said that you witnessed this, you know, putting too much hope in one individual. Am I am I making that error? Um, you said that you witnessed this when President Obama got elected. <laughs> um, I think the moral of your story was that change doesn't just happen overnight?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think sometimes we are all looking for someone to come in and just fix it for us. And unfortunately, that's not how government works, democracy works, human rights works. I, I think the way you change things over time, and it does take time often, is long-term education, organizing, activism and just like constant focus on issues and so i do not think that uh we're going to solve you know the issue of how migrant laborers are treated in qatar this year but i do think that if people are talking about raising awareness about these kind of practices we can push countries to do better in the future. I think you can push FIFA to actually care about these issues. I think you can push sponsors and players to be focused on them because, you know, one of the things you mentioned that the U.S. and the England, English teams are doing is having players meet with actual migrant workers. I think that is like a powerful, powerful thing because when you hear someone's story, when they tell you about, you know, how, you know, she was um, brought over from a, another country, and worked as a a housekeeper for a family and was like physically abused by them, you're going to remember that for the rest of your life. Like that's powerful and it'll change you. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. So we have seen, you know, these organizations from around the world, um, leaders of human rights organizations um, start the, what you talked about earlier, the pay up. Is it a FIFA initiative? It's a pay up FIFA initiative. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So do you know how people would get involved with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's, it, it really is like an effort to raise awareness and use social media. And so, um, you know, we, my company, Crooked Media, we posted, we made some like Instagram graphics that people can steal and use that just talk about the initiative and what we're trying to do. But I think more broadly, it's just sort of about constantly reminding FIFA, like, hey, we know about the harm that's been caused by this World Cup. We know about these abuses of migrant workers. We want you to do what all these smart human rights groups think you should do, which is set aside a bunch of money to make these families right. You know, a remediation fund. And I don't know if they'll listen to us, but I would, you know, kind of rather be caught trying, you know.
0: So this is the very beginning, believe it or not. There's a pay up FIFA initiative campaign um, looking to get money for the family of workers who died. Um, Qatar has made some improvements. I'm not sure if they're meaningful improvements. Um, FIFA has addressed the world cup bidding process for the next world cup, um, cities and sta- stadiums must meet human rights requirements. So there are these small improvements being made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my last question, right? I know you got to go here, but why should we fight corruption in sport? Isn't it just sports?
1: You know, it's a great question. I mean, on its face, it's not obvious that corruption harms us or harms the thing we love. But I think what we've learned is that like over time, corruption can chip away at institutions or individuals. It can make them make worse choices. It can uh, destroy people's faith in the organizations to do the right thing, can color how we think about the games um, and the people involved. So I I think it does matter. I mean, you know, my background is political um, and it's like a bipartisan problem that uh, there's too much money in politics and then it changes how people vote or make decisions or think about issues. And I think like everyone kind of agrees on both sides of the aisle, like, boy, it would be really great if we could get money out of politics and make politicians make decisions based on the merits and on facts and not on who gave them a campaign check. I think that same concept applies to sports. Like we're never going to make the NFL or the NBA or or, or soccer not, part of like a capitalism, you know, focused venture to make a bunch of people money. But I think if we can tell these institutions that like, hey, we love these sports because of the values in them, because of how they make us feel, because of, you know, I don't know, the, the, the things they reflect back about society. We don't want you to screw them up or we're going to change the channel and not watch anymore. I do think there's some value in that long term.
0: I'm not sure we're going to get money out of sport. I'm afraid it's going to go the other way.
1: (laughs) Yes. I mean, hopefully there'll be a lot of money injected into, you know, women's soccer, for example. Like we should be paying athletes better, but we don't need, you know, Seth Blatter or some corrupt asshole at the top to have, you know, one guy had a uh, apartment just for his cats in New York City. We don't need that anymore.
0: Yeah. That was my old friend, Chuck Blazer.
1: (laughs) Chuck Blazer. That, that,
0: That guy loved me.
1: Really? Did you know him? Oh,
0: I was sent down by U.S. Soccer to, you know, do all U.S. Soccer's bidding and, You know, hang out with Chuck Blazer down in Trinidad and everybody. Yeah, I was a part of the whole system. You know, I got my accidentally, I've told this story before. I probably shouldn't say that on this podcast again, but I met Seth Blatter a number of times, you know, Um, I think he thought I was all dressed up at these, at the Ballon d'Or, the Glamorous Awards show. I was presenting on stage and I think he thought I wasn't an athlete. You know, I had my hair and makeup done. I was in this gorgeous gown. And we took a picture together, and his hand, maybe on accident, I don't know, no. slipped, slipped to the ass.
1: No. And so that's
0: my set bladder story, is that grab grabbed my ass while taking a picture. But he didn't know I was Hope Solo. He didn't know I was a player.
1: Yeah, but he still shouldn't grab your ass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, ever. so uh, I, I know these guys. It is a trip to think back that this was a part of my life, you know, and just uh, buddy buddies with these guys and just playing the game with them and not knowing that they were just corrupt as all can be because they were fun and good men to your face.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what sucks. I mean, the, like these guys lucked into these jobs. You know, they were like lucky to be there. They didn't earn it like you did. <laughs> you, know, you worked your ass off <laughs> to be one of the best athletes on the planet to earn to be on that stage. And like, there's absolutely no reason some corrupt, creepy Batman villain, you know, creeper should be touching your butt or, chuck blazer or any of these guys who apparently look like santa claus is that true
0: uh he had a better beard than santa claus oh he, <laughs> nice. he was gregarious deep voice always seated down you know and then when he stood up i mean it was crazy when he stood up it was slow and methodical and he was huge like he didn't realize how big he was until he got up but yeah chuck blazer he and i go way back what a I know you got to go. Um, just gonna thank end you for with having this. me. Yeah. Tommy, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. Let me, let me end with this for everybody. Um, it, is, it is clear that there's a true human cause to having Qatar host these games. Uh, we can't deny that. I just hope that we all do have some really uncomfortable moments as we watch the World Cup this winter. I think being uncomfortable makes us better people. Um, I do know that it's easier to not know the ugliness of sport, to believe that it is clean and pure. I'll be the first to tell you sport is not clean or pure. Um, And it's time to not keep our our heads in the sand any longer. It's time to make sure that the families of the migrant workers who lost their lives creating a World Cup atmosphere for all of us to enjoy are compensated. So everybody, let's work together. Let's get it done. Tommy, thanks for bringing much needed light and insight to the atrocities. Man, your series was amazing. It was incredible. It was enlightening. It was political. You are very intelligent with your words, with explaining the situations, um, and you have us all be better equipped in our knowledge um, and in our activism. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. and Thank you for your podcast.
1: Wow. Thank you so much. That's such a nice thing to say. And but but before we got to me, uh, you got me all fired up. That was very well said. So thank you. I think that's exactly right. Feel uncomfortable a little bit. It's good for you.
0: Pope Sola Sphinx is part of the Sirius XM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. Sirius XM Podcasts.